Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Find written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Hey everybody, Chad Parsons here and got a special edition for the weekly UTH show. We recorded this uh, just before week 18 was kicking off for the NFL. This is before the title game in college football coming up as well. But had a good discussion with my good friend Keith. We discussed about fixing college and fixing NFL football. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack to that. Uh, usually talk to Keith uh, in long form for a podcast, maybe one, two, three times a year uh, about all things sports. Uh, he's living in Florida. I used to hang out with him uh, many times per week, and we used to have a lot of uh, sports discussions along the way. But now uh, talking more on Zoom, uh, talking on text, talking on the phone a little bit. So uh, again, this is a way to catch up with one of my good friends out there. And again, a good football discussion we've talked before about sports movies a variety of topics but in a kind of a transition to the off season here wanted to go a little lighter and just talk about sports and football in general here so enjoy this this would normally be a premium show and again uh, if you appreciate uh, the work put in the things you've heard this year uh, i would encourage you to sign up uh, over there for GM Plus at uh, UTHDynasty.com. There's also a Patreon channel, patreon.com slash UTH uh, with bonus content. And the real thing is being informed. Uh, the real thing is you're going to hear all the dirty work all the time, uh, scrubbing profiles, everything now with Dynasty rankings, as well as the UTH trade calculator. It's updated for 2024, rolling into the offseason. Got some great projects planned for the offseason months. And you're going to get a, a pretty complete big board with early profiles there for the college game by mid-January as well. Once we get the declaration deadline, uh, declaring what the class is actually going to be with all the twists and turns of nil and transfer portaling. But, uh, but again, enjoy this long-form discussion I had with Keith. And again, we'll see you on the other side for next week. In addition to already probably a couple dozen premium shows, you're going to get a ton of profiles there uh, telling the story about the notable adjustments there for UTH player value going into 2024 if you're on the premium side of the podcasting channel as well. Almost hit 500 shows in 2023 and going to at least hit 450 plus uh, with these little uh, bite-sized shows and uh, basically view it as an audio book. Uh, and, and these are chapters in the Dynasty Canvas for off-season audio content. So enjoy with Keith, and we will uh, discuss more uh, micro and Dynasty topics coming up next week. Welcome to a special bonus edition of UTH and Under the Helmet here. I've got a friend of the show and friend of mine, Keith, uh, on board. I am Chad Parsons, and we're going to talk a little State of the Union for college football and the NFL. We're going to try to fix some things in uh, football athletics here because uh, we've, we've got changes coming. We've got changes with uh, nil. We've got changes for college football playoff on the horizon. And for the NFL, guess what? They always need fixing. So uh, we're going to go and, and try to address the landscape here, so to speak, uh, with the new year and, and frankly, new takes here. So great to have you on, Keith. And as always, I mean, I'll have you on maybe once or twice a year. And frankly, uh, we talk about sports and, and football far more than that. So uh, press and record here and uh, great to have you. 
Well, great to be on board. <laughs> um, so let's start with college. Uh, what's kind of your sense of the landscape and what's wrong? What could be fixed? What will be fixed? And maybe the answer to the last question is nothing. Well, the first thing is, I even though people say NIL is terrible and the transfer portal is terrible and everything like this, I actually think it's wonderful. I think if if in a you know capitalism and free agents and everything like that, why not do it? But my problem with college football has always been how it's so limited, and that you know we used to only have two two uh, games. You know, you one game that meant the national championship. Now, I guess this year we have three games when you consider a semifinals and a finals. And even next year, you're only going to have 11 good games. So out of the 41 bowl games, only yeah. 11 are ones that anybody's going to care about. So the question is, how do you get people more interested and in to watch more of the bowl games? I mean, well, I they know put it on ESPN at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, so there's not much else to watch. That's part of it. <laughs> that's true, but I mean, the, but then you see everybody opting out, and you know, and well, that's not going to change. You, I heard a really good thing. It's because they have because of the transfer portal and because of college coaching changes and recruiting and all of this stuff that's going on basically during bowl season. I mean, you've got a kid that says, "Okay, I'm going to the." Uh, you know, Alamo cheese it bowl. And it's like, okay, great. Well, my team isn't going to win the national title and I can get a, a better nil deal or a transfer option or whatever. And I got to make a decision now. I can't wait till January 6th and things like that. So it really, they need to push that back and they never will. So it's going to converge and you're going to have this. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was knee deep in bowl season. I was seeing, you know, all the news was about so-and-so's transferring. So-and-so has entered the portal. You've got five stars declaring. You've got all this kind of stuff. And it's like the games, like you said, are completely secondary, even though, like you said, most of them, no matter what, they are not about, uh, you know, winning the bowl game anymore. Uh, and they said, there's going to be, Next year, don't be surprised if there are players that are in the 12 team playoff that they still opt out because either, you know, they don't think that their chances are very good. All of a sudden, it's going to be a little bit more about you than about the team and about what kind of deal you can get, um, whether you're going to the NFL that year or not. Okay. Well, that is exactly the reason why I've come up with my brilliant idea. Excellent. That you're going to poke Hulson. Great. Yeah. So my first plan is, is is that realistically, if we look back over time, there are very few years that that if I told you to pick ten teams, that you wouldn't pick the national champion. I mean, I just, I mean, maybe maybe nineteen ninety when it was uh, Colorado and Georgia Tech, or hmm. maybe BYU in what eighty four or something like that. I mean, but but since then. I mean, we pretty much know who the teams are that are going to do it. So, I mean, so my idea is to have 48 teams where you have 24 in the North Division and 24 in the South Division, basically the Big Ten and the Southeast Conference. And then what happens is they're broken into six division uh, into four divisions of six teams each. And we could get into which teams would be in them. But you could pretty much say that if you started today, well, the 16 teams in the Southeast Conference would be in there. And then you would add eight more teams 
And then what you do is you, instead of these people, you know, where you see everybody complaining about somebody playing some little podunk school, well, you would play the five teams in your division and you would play six teams in one of the other divisions. And then the top two teams in those divisions would end up playing one of the other divisions. So if you're in the East, let's say, and you're coming first, well, you if you played the Central Division, well, now you would play the second place team in either the West or Southwest or whatever you would call that division. Like the NFL. Uh, right. And so what it would happen is you don't end up playing the same person in this playoff. Now, if you come in first, you the second place team in that division has to come to your home to play. Okay. And then whoever wins that game goes on to the final four. And then that would be your bowl games for that conference uh, there. And then the other conference would do the same thing. And you would play until the Big Ten had their, their, their leader and the Southeast had their leader. And then they would play for the national championship. But then those games actually mean something all the way through. So to where you're going to be next year, you'll have 11 games that mean something. Uh, this way, you would have, what, 16 games that mean something, uh, which, oh, no, seven, seven, you would have 11, seven, something like that. I forgot what my numbers were. But you would you would basically have more, You when they're playing for something, I don't think people will opt out, especially if it's a big team versus a big team, because that's what scouts are really looking at is how well you marry up versus another team. Now the question is, well, what do you do with the teams that are three through six? Well, what I would do with those is the third place team would play a sixth place team and a fourth place team would play the fifth place team. Same thing, the third and fourth teams get a home game against them. And then the losers of those games end up in the relegation mode. So you'd have 16 potential teams between the North and the South division that could be relegated uh, out of the premier league. Then you would have your other, I don't know how many more teams there are out of the top 148, what about a hundred more, but they would have some sort of conference thing to pick out their 16 best teams. And then they would play against those teams for relegation. And those would be the bowl games. And I don't think, but I don't think players would opt out of relegation games. Uh, because I mean, all of a sudden now you're showing the, you know, the NFL or whatever, the other teams, whatever you're trying to do, it would show that, well, you don't really care about your team. You only care about yourself. And so I think that it would cause, and I know that people would love to watch relegation games. I mean, I personally. Well, would. I agree with you. I, I think relegation is the best part of what you just said, which is having different. This is me. This is like soccer, right? I mean, is it Premier League? Uh, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, Bundesliga. Uh, I can't remember that. Uh, that they have a higher and lower zone, and I think having that in terms of stakes for the program is massive. I will push back and say, I don't think that's going to stop the downhill mudslide that is transient player movement. 
And uh, like, like you said, you know, I, I think one thing to put into it of good for the players, and I agree with good for the players, um, because it's been slanted towards coaches can do whatever they want, players can't, and they're locked in. And now that the players can do basically what the coaches did, now everyone's like, oh, well, this stinks. Well, no, make it level for everybody. Um, so I just don't think you're going to be able to stop it. I don't think so-and-so, if M- Missouri is facing relegation, I don't think one of their notable players is going to be like, well, let me play in the freaking uh, relegation game. Like, I don't think they care. Okay, maybe I, not. But here's my other thing is, is is that I would also have, and this would be between Christmas and New Year's, I'd have similar like they have a senior bowl, uh, I would have a I would have an NIL or a transfer portal uh, bowl thing where you could take where the you would take teams of the of the players that are in the portal and they would play other you would like do uh, they could do a draft or they do a selection whatever but then you'd have portal t- people playing against portal people because now all of a sudden you would the coaches would say well let's see what these guys look like when they're playing against other guys who are trying for stuff. So you would, I, I, I could see what, what are there, like 2,000 players in the portal? I don't think they're ever going to, Keith, I'll, I'll say this. Getting players to play full tackle football is, I mean, it has to basically count or be within the absolute structure of a team. Look at the senior bowl. Like so many people opt out of the senior bowl, but the only reason that they get enough and it's an actual calendar event is because they're already out of school. They're already saying we are going to the NFL. There's no way they would do an exhibition college game basically for the rights of portaling. Like you said, there's no way. Because what if someone got hurt in the portal game? Well, no, true. You could get hurt in the portal game and you could. That's why they don't do it. But you could opt. Why they out. wouldn't do it? You could opt out of the portal game. But yeah, they the, all would. <laughs> but the thing is, is that what you're trying to do is impress people, right. uh, you know. And and if you really, you know, and if it, you so know, just if, like the NFL, you would get low level portal. You just like the NFL, where you know you don't go to all star games if you're one of the better players. I think in college, the same thing. If I if you have any sort of appeal, or you had you know someone in your ear saying, "Hey, you're too good for this," that. So you would basically get the the bottom half. Well, whatever it is, it would be interesting because I know that if I knew that certain players were going to go wanted to go to a let's say let's say I'm a Gator fan and I and I know that there's some players because I mean I, I, people will still want to watch you know oh how's that offensive lineman doing or how that person's doing and maybe it's not going to be the superstars but it'll still be an interesting game it'll be better than what we see right now. The uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, the 12 team playoff, how much is it going to make some of these big programs, the regular season, essentially irrelevant? Well, that's the reason why. Because they're going to get in, right? Georgia, Ohio State and uh, Alabama. I mean, they're going to be mortal locks every year. Sure. And that's the now reason- the only thing they're playing for, though, is the home game and the bye, which are important. Uh, oh, is the first round? The first round is definitely home games. Is yes. That yes. Yeah. Top yeah. four get a bye, and then the the next four get a home game. Well, that's the reason why I think if you had a twenty four twenty four, and the team that comes in first gets a home game against the second place team, 
then right. all of, then now all of a sudden the regular season means something and then you're not and you're not getting crap games because you're getting everybody's playing 11 games against the teams in their you know in their in their premier area you know league or whatever i mean cuz i mean who, whoever watches alabama play southeast louisiana state i mean I mean, it's, I mean, when you start seeing, you know, spreads of 30, 40, 50 points, I mean, nobody's going to watch that. Right. And that, that dovetails into something that I had, you know, hadn't recorded a bunch of shows on it, but years ago, I was a huge proponent of the um, David versus Goliath and the small team, the small program and saying, why aren't these undefeated teams from whatever d1 level like why are they not given a chance and we and the the funny thing is we saw tcu which is pretty much one of the small we had boise state you know pull off a a big game win but we also had uh notably we had tcu which some people didn't even want in you saw them win a game but then you saw them get throttled and the more the longer i go with this and the comparison for me is going to college basketball in march madness where March Madness, the Cinderella can win. Any one particular game, the Cinderella can win. And because basketball is higher variance than football. And that's weird to say, but three-point shot neutralizes everything. You have a bad shooting night versus a good shooting night for the small schooler. Boom, you can win. In football, there is no three-point shot. And you're dealing with just the stars matter aspect of you're getting better athletes and more of them and they come in waves and their second team is better than your first team on the lines, like all these things. It literally is natural selection and no offense, but uh, there, there's a reason that, you know, you were talking about different classes of college football programs that, you know, outside of the top one to two peers, good luck, good, absolute freaking luck. And we're seeing, you know, just this year, you know, we're seeing how, if you don't get absolutely elite quarterback play from whether it's the portal or getting a three-star or a five-star that transferred uh, to you or something like that, you just, you don't have much of a prayer and that's not going to be the DNA for these lesser teams like Liberty or whatever. Well, the thing is, the problem is, is like with, if you had, they said a statistic on Alabama that Alabama's offensive line weighed more than any NFL team's offensive line. Right. Okay. So if the if Alabama goes against a, a, a Liberty, I mean, they don't even have to throw a pass. I mean, they could just bulldoze the the they're because they're not going to have they're going to have players that are what 50 pounds lighter and they're just going to be able to push them around. I mean, I what was it? What was it? Wasn't right. it and it's a long the- game. You know, this is not, this is not, you can play slow ball like college basketball, make a few three pointers and you're like, Ooh, this thing's close at halftime. Like you're not going to get out of the first quarter. Well, you look at it, even, even Michigan to Penn state and Penn state premier program, they ran 32 running plays in a row. Right. (laughs) I mean, imposing their will as the phrase goes. Yeah, they would never run. They would. I mean, a, a big a, one of the big schools would never even have to pass against nope. the smaller schools just because of the, you know, the physical nature of the of the people. 
So, now the other the other thing is the schedule of the college football playoff next year. The first round is going to be December twentieth and twenty first. So it's going to be right there when the bowl season typically starts. The national championship game is not till January twentieth. I mean, how much is that going to? So you have two teams that are going to be playing and still prepping for games. And I mean, how long and gone are? I, I mean, is that? I think that's technically after the NFL declaration, NFL draft declaration. Like how? They're going to have to push that back. Well, they will, because look at how far back the Super Bowl is now. Well, it's, that's not changing, though. I'm saying, like, that's not changing for 2024. They need to go to the 18-game schedule. They add another buy. You push it a couple weeks. Like, yes, I mean, we're we're getting dreadfully closer to a 12-month. It already is a 12-month-a-year business and news cycle for football. But it keep that, that off season keeps getting squeezed more and more because you start backing up combine, you start backing up spring games for college football. You know, all of a sudden the draft is right there. Like you just, it's crazy how the big business and and media reporting cycle is just lapping it up. I mean, it's just an uncontrollable beast uh, for for live TV and coverage. But that's the reason why I'm thinking if you had 16 relegation games. That's the only way that small schools would get a chance to to you know display or whatever. But because, let me ask I mean, you this though: a small school, though, let's say they win a regular, uh, they 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 get up, they win, and then they they get the regular, uh, they get the relegation game, they win that. Here's the thing: they're still operating from a big deficit because even if you're doing, uh, even if you're doing share uh, revenue sharing. And you get more money because you're in this higher conference, higher status, hierarchy. You're still not going to have enough. <laughs> like you're still not going to have enough to compete. You're still going to be the dregs and the whipping boy of that top level. So does it really matter? But is it any difference than in the NFL, like what the Bucks did or what the or what the Rams did? I mean, where you 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 max out your salary cap. And well, just different owners are comfortable paying different amounts, right? You know, and well, but you yeah. max out and then you try to win a Super Bowl. And then after you win the Super Bowl, okay, so what? You you go, you become the dregs or whatever like that. But at least, which is better to get a Super Bowl and then Who, Wait, like, wait, wait. Who has done that? You, when you said they become the dregs, Tampa Bay didn't fall to the bottom. The Rams didn't fall to the bottom. Well, they, they I we're mean, still waiting for the Saints. We've been making fun of the Saints for the salary cap for like two to three years. They've fielded a competitive team every single year. The bottom hasn't fallen out. I think the salary cap ends up being more of a fallacy than anything else. You can you can push you can push crumbs around the table and and figure your way out of this because I, those those teams have not like bottomed out and fielded an expansion team at any point to to reset the clock, if you will. Right. They haven't gone completely. That's only because of the ineptitude of some franchises that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't understand how New Orleans. Didn't they just have- keep pushing out void years and the salary cap is going to keep going up. And so that softens it so that they never really have to pay it. I mean, it's just. But what the they- more I learned about the salary cap, the more I know that it's it's not as big of a deal as as all of us on the outside, like peering in going, oh, they're 50, 50 million over the cap. They fix that relatively easily without cutting to the bone. Right. Uh, well, it's not as big as we think because the salary cap is not uh, is not a hard cap. What's funny is all these salary cap problems, like that's actually less of an impact than what Denver is going to do with Russell Wilson this year. 
that's like the biggest impact on a salary cap and a financial situation that we have ever seen coming up. So that'll be a good limit test. Well, also if Jack, Joe Flacco wins the Super Bowl. Oh, well, just if he does anything. Yeah. So, the fact that the fact that, that Flacco can come off the couch and he has one of the stronger arms in the NFL. I, I thought Tom Brady still had a very vibrant arm when he left Tampa Bay. And then, you know, you see some quarterbacks in their 30s, you know, just they lose it. It just shows the vast difference of uh, of arm strength and maintenance and all of that as you age uh, within that position. Right. But but getting back to the college football, yeah. I think that I think I would I wouldn't mind if I were if I had a team like a Liberty or something like that. And they and they went up because it's kind of like in soccer in the European leagues. You know, they play to go up to the higher league and they may get trounced to go down the next year. But, you know, you're you're you you got you got the thrill of going up and then you go down. But now you're you know, you got to play with the big boys. Now you're down. Now you have a little bit of experience of what it's like to play with the big boys. And then you're hoping you get back to but do how the will they game. actually do it? Like if they move up, if that system exists, how would they actually stay there and become competitive at the next level? Because I can't imagine their financial and backing situation is all that different. Or do you think somehow, uh, you know, boosters and 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 nil funds and all that are just going to come streaming in because you moved up? I think I think some teams will be able to. I think some teams will be able to leverage it, and then other teams. Unless obviously... there's like unless there's profit sharing or something, I don't know how that's going to work. No, I don't. Or think some it, sort of cap never... or whatever. You're never going to get that because right. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I don't understand. I mean, the you know, I don't understand how some teams. I mean, you you look at well, I, and I know I know our Iowa friends would be, mm-hmm. upset. but I mean, you know, well, that was probably the one of the worst conference finals you've ever seen, and you knew what was going to happen. I mean, there's and no- they're technically in the in the halves when you when you say what conference do you play in and. What what um, what faculties do you have? You know that well, they're actually closer to the haves than the have nots. Well, let me give you an example because kind of when, when I did a little thing where I did, divvied up everybody, the because I mean uh, unfortunately the, the you should see what the SEC East looks like. It's just it would be just insanely brutal to get through there. But when you go to the Midwest of the Big Ten, you have Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa. Well, I threw in Arizona, Utah, who aren't in the Big Ten right now. And Arizona and Utah would be extremely competitive or actually would probably be the one and two teams Yeah, uh, in that. And now all of a sudden, the people in Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, they realize they're going to have to kick in money or their teams are going to go down. Yeah, I think that you would see that I would think you'd see people have more money involved if they thought their team was going to go down more so than if they were going to win the national championship. Right. I, I do agree that, as you're saying, there needs to be more thematic elements and more consequential elements to the gluttonous supply of college bowl games because they used to mean something. And I still remember when I was growing up, and I'm cer- certainly, you know, when you, you were watching long before I did, where uh, bowl games were a big deal and they had a lot less of them. And we didn't have this structured playoff system. And 
you needed to win uh, for final ranking purposes. And that's how the national champion was crowned. It was based on results and it wasn't head to head. You know, you get to the end and there's four teams, two teams, 12 teams, whatever. Uh, that's not how it worked. Um, and now they have a ton of bowls. Uh, it infiltrates, what, two weeks essentially of, of ESPN and ancillary other networks. And it, it, uh, all these games, you're, you're getting these waivers for teams that are not worthy and teams that are not even at 500 sometimes are into a meaningless bowl game that changes on a near hourly basis on what the title is and who the title sponsor is because they get passed around. And frankly, you need a lot of name brand sponsors to these ancillary bowls. Yeah. I, well, wasn't it that they were saying that teams were losing money going to bowl games? Right. You know, I mean, I mean, they said the if, biggest benefit for these ancillary bowls is that you get additional practice time and it helps you for the spring and the following season and all those things. Well, it's not playing the game. It's not financial. Uh, it's not ooh, momentum into the following year or anything. It literally was giving you access to your team and your schedule and practice hours and all those things. Well, first thing is, is that I've heard coaches in the past, and this is even a way back, say that the bowl games will reward for their players for having a good season. Now, the one thing that I really disagree with that they that they that I saw them do this year is players that opted out were allowed to play to travel with the team to the bowl game. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. If you're on the team, you're on the you play. If you're not on the team, get out of here. And I think more people would play if you made them, you know, you know, you know, have to play if you, if you, if you come to the game. I, I mean, I, I, all I know is, is that I'd, I'd like to watch some games where I'm not wondering, well, who's opted out, you know, is this, I mean, I, I don't know how the betting would have gone, but if you would have bet the money line on every underdog, I, I think you probably would have won a lot of money. Yeah. You mentioned it was kind of all over the place and it's tough to follow. I mean, I have pretty much given up. Like I used to be plugged into who's transferring and it was far, it was like Duplo blocks in terms of uh, complexity. And it was a very specific time of year. And now it's spanning a lot. It sounds like it's going to be even worse or quote unquote better uh, in 2024 for, for transfers and portaling and all this where I'm just pretty much like, Hey, shake me from my nap and slumber when this is over uh, at some point in what a couple weeks. And I will update everything because I mean, just tracking this, it's a full-time job on a daily basis with uh, the college transfer program and who's in, who's out who's, who's uh, sticking their foot in the water with a, a portal. But then, you know, we saw um, who's the Cam Ward, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to transfer. He's going to go to some big program. And then, then who knows, maybe he didn't get the contract or, uh, or a nil deal that he wanted. And now it's like, well, I'm declaring for the NFL. Like the twists and turns are going to be vast over this mid-December to mid-January mode. But it sounds like even before that, I mean, we may get in-season transfers now, I don't know how you can possibly transfer to another team and get incorporated. And now you're making a difference to that team that season. I don't know, but we're, no, we're going that, in that direction you, more so than static. Well, if you do that, you don't even, then you're not even a school anymore because you can't transfer classes within a year. 
I mean, I understand what you're saying, but they they have they're going to have like a wild west. I mean, you think it's chaos now? No limits. I see. Here's the thing that that I didn't understand. They went suddenly from you can get one waiver to transfer without sitting out to now it's do it whenever you want. And I understand the one transfer. Hey, my coach left. Hey, the team's a lot different than what I signed up for. Hey, I'm not playing. Hey, I'm not happy. Hey, I'm homesick. Hey, I want to play more. I get all those things. But if you're giving if you're giving players access to do that three, four, five times or as much as they want, and I'll just tell you, from my tracking purposes for the NFL draft and prospects and all this, the shock waves of, you know, we had COVID seasons that added eligibility and now we're having all this transfer portal stuff. You can have 50. I mean, Michael Penix is a sixth year player and we're going to get a lot. I, I think it's bad for the NFL in many ways. If all of a sudden all these day three guys, instead of being 21, 22 year olds, you're going to get 23, 24 year olds going to the NFL that they're just maxed out. There's not a lot of upside there uh, developmentally as opposed to a 21 year old. And with, with them getting possibly, you know, a half a million, a million, a million and a half in terms of, of nil money in some cases, I mean, why would you get some day three rookie contract instead of just taking another year or two of no possibilities uh, thereby moving around or staying within your college program? Well, I think the NFL is actually better off with the quarterback staying longer. Yes, I agree with that. I think that's a benefit. I mean, a running back would be an idiot not to go out immediately. Uh, but, But I mean, I was telling you the other day, I, what is it, has how many years has KJ Jefferson been in college football? Well, this is his UCF is his sixth year. Yeah, I keep I keep pushing him out. Like he was a prospect in the 2022 class for me, and then it became 23. Not, uh, then it became 24. Now it's going to be 25. I mean, right? I, it sounds like you can just push it out, push it out. It's almost like a loan, right? You just a car loans yeah. went from three year to four year to five year to seven year. Yeah. But what I do like is that players can now, after a year, because you don't really know what you're doing, even in a couple of years, like K.J. Jefferson, even though it's his sixth season, he looked for a coach and a system that matches his skill set perfectly so that way he can show the NFL exactly what he is. I mean, because he's a semi-Cam Newton-ish type quarterback, and he's going with Gus Malzahn, who had Cam Newton. And now all of a sudden, all the UFC players are staying because Jefferson is coming. So now all of a sudden, UCF is going to be a pretty damn good team next year. And who would have ever thought 10 years ago that UCF was going to be a team that you would even have to reckon with? Yeah. But uh, Do you have any more on college uh, for the landscape and how to well, fix it or how to improve it? Well, the other thing is I just wanted to I, – I did a little thing where these would have been the relegation games. I wanted, your, I wanted your opinion on those. Okay, South Carolina, mm-hmm. would have had to, who's obviously in the SEC, would have to play Troy. <laughs> okay? The old Sun Belt. Vanderbilt would have to play Liberty. Vanderbilt would get regulated or would get relegated so fast. I understand that. This is not your Jay Cutler Vanderbilt teams. But that's the reason why now yeah. you start seeing Vanderbilt people saying we But you know what? But you put Vanderbilt in the in the the have nots and all of a sudden, you know, they might be they might be feisty. Well, the next year they get downgraded, the next year they would be playing to get relegated back up and you would start well, hopefully uh, hey well, how damning would that be though if you get relegated down and then you don't even get to the relegation game 
Oh, that would really be bad. <laughs> so then I had that. I had Kansas and Arkansas playing, uh, wow. Mississippi State and Kansas State playing. I mean, these are still decent games. And if these were relegated games, they would get a big market still. Exactly. Indiana and NC State. Yep. Michigan State versus James Madison. See, those are the one, the kind of games I care about right there. When you get okay. the true small school, yeah. Minnesota versus Memphis. And Washington State versus Miami of Ohio. That, that See, would it seems like it seems like Washington State and some of those that you mentioned that are like bigger name schools. Those are the the teams that have been resting on their laurels and they've been in this push conference and they're not very good. But you get them, like you said, in a relegation status and uh, the pro the possibility of moving down. That's when that's when things get serious. That's when you start throwing it against the fan. Yeah, you'd have it. Here's my other, the other run. So how many, so how many bowl games would you have if you're talking about combine the playoffs with relegation games? You're still not up to the bulging number we currently have. So yeah. would you eliminate bowl games? Well, I have. Well, I have twenty. I think I have twenty-three or twenty-four bowl games. What? Well, uh, and the current number is like forty, right? Twenty-three. You have sixteen relegation games. Yeah. And then you'd have seven games because we're not counting the games that would be played at home. On uh, you know, it, we wouldn't count those. These are only ones that will go to bowl. You'd have twenty three games. Okay. Uh, you know, with, versus the eleven that you're going to get now. But that's the reason why I want. But you're doubling, even if you still have some meaningless bowl games. The point is, you're doubling the meaningful games. Well, I think what you could do is the teams that are like in third, fourth, fifth. You know, the one those. If you had them play the other premier division, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, people would end up watching because then you're saying, oh, it's the Big Ten versus the SEC, you know, and people would think that that would mean something more than, I mean, I, I mean, Georgia and Florida State playing. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, the ACC and the SEC are not equatable. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. when the Big Ten plays, because uh, I, you know, when the Big play, Ten, ten please, plays the SEC, okay, now all of a sudden we're, you know, we're saying, okay, it's big boy versus big boy. I'll, I'm, I'm willing to watch that game. So, okay. But I had a um, lot of small schools in here, like Toledo got in, oh, uh, yeah. UT uh, San Antonio, and Air Force. New Mexico State, all these would get Boise, all these would get into the relegation thing and have a shot. I New mean, CSA I, fighting roadrunners. That's right. Yep. So, Give all right. A, a chip and a chair and a chance. All right. Uh, so, the NFL, um, I wanted to start off with, uh, well, let, let, I'll have you start off with the opening foray. What is one thing you think would, would help fix the NFL? Well, the one thing is less officiating. Less. Okay. Anything okay. that eliminates an official having to make a call would so be what I consider important. Okay. And so, I mean, you take, you could take anything. So like, uh, well, one thing is, I, you know, illegal formations and illegal man downfield and all that stuff. I, I mean, I just, it drives me crazy. I just don't understand why everybody can't catch a pass. Well, yeah, I, well, I am somewhere in between how it is and what you just said, 
because I do think that there's too much minutia in terms of officiating the action of the game. This is my argument with uh, hockey and soccer. Be like, can you just show me what the game without offsides would look like? Because it really bugs me that a guy was, you know, one quarter of a step when the ball was touched or the puck was hit. And it's like, all of a sudden now that, that great goal doesn't count. And show me the NFL game or show me football where there's less rules on the things that you just said. And would it be chaos or would it be a heck of a lot of fun? And I bet it'd be a heck of a lot of fun. Right. Well, see, I think, I think that I don't, I, I think everybody should be allowed to move and do whatever they want as long as they don't cross the line. Now, you probably would need to have like a laser that's across so everybody could see. Oh, so you're referencing like CFL where, so yeah. instead of just, they've, they've gotten into that live, uh, live action where you get the full speed wide receivers going parallel. So you, would you have them going full speed towards the line of scrimmage as a possibility too? Sure. You can go towards, okay. you can do whatever. And an offensive lineman can move. Everybody can move. And so what that would help the so offensive lineman can move before the snap. Right. They just like a, you mean you mean motion, right? I whatever they want. I this thing where the guy the so false start wouldn't exist. Huh? Right. No so, false. Start. So false start wouldn't exist. Offsides would extent exist. Right. I, but if you but, make a if you make a flinch, as long as you don't cross the line, you're okay. Right. Oh, and you could even move start. You could even have the offensive lineman. You know, start right. to. It would almost be like a cadence of two two snaps, right? You would have the snap where, let's say, a guy that's three steps behind the line of scrimmage, he would start moving forward, just as an example, and then the snap would come. That's what they did in the arena league. They basically the quarterback would look to the right, the guy that was in full speed motion towards the line of scrimmage, he would he would snap it and call for the ball, basically to align when that player was going to get near the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, I just don't want to see all this illegal formations. This, I, I just hate that. So, well, here's, so wait, you wouldn't have everybody an eligible receiver, though. Yes, or you would. But I'll tell you what the difference is. Everybody's an eligible receiver, but, but the offensive linemen have to wear boxing gloves. So that way, there's no hope. Well, those two things don't align, though. So, so basically, what you're saying is they're wearing boxing gloves, so no one would throw them anyway. You have boxing gloves, so that way you can't hold because I can't stand holding because we know holding occurs on every play. Is no, but well, why don't you do? No, here's an adaptation. Just kind of spitballing as we go through this together. Why not have everybody an eligible receiver, but say like an offensive lineman can't catch the ball more than two yards downfield or something yeah. like that? Like they would only be outlets or emergencies. Like when a quarterback gets in trouble and you see them try to ground the ball essentially without getting a penalty, he would have outs in that situation to actually throw it to one of the linemen to save the sack, whereas that's illegal touching and it counts as a sack or grounding or whatever these days. I, he, can, he can throw to the offensive lineman, but the offensive lineman has boxing gloves. And now he can catch. They're never going to do that, Keith. Let's right. be quasi-realistic. Of course they're not going to do anything I We said. know about the liberal... I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel over the past few years they have liberalized holding. There's a lot of times where I've seen it and it's pretty clear and they don't call it. We know holding happens every play. And I feel like they're doing a better job of how uh, unequivocal was it. And the other part is, did it affect the play tangibly? Because if it doesn't tangibly affect the play, or it's not the point of the point of uh, egress, like I, I just think they should let it go in general. 
Well, here's my point is, is that if I'm allowing the offense to have the ability to move everybody around and to throw a pass to anybody and everything like this, I have to give the defensive side something. So what I'm okay. giving the defensive side is the offensive linemen are going to have boxing gloves so they can't hold. I know they can tackle. I'll let them tackle, There's but no. they can't hold the jersey or whatever like that. So Don't you think that would render... I think there would be such a cataclysmic drop in effectiveness of blocking. I don't think you realize the ramifications of what you just said. I, I believe that blocking these would, these would these superhero type linemen, they would we'd have linemen repetitively getting like twenty five sacks a game. I mean twenty five sacks a season. But you have to remember, I'm allowing I'm allowing everybody to be able to catch the ball, and I'm allowing everybody to move. So I don't think the response by the offense is going to be, oh yeah, let's just Olay and let these and let these aliens go after my quarterback because the guy that just whiffed on that block is going to leak out and and uh, get some twenty yard gain on a reception. That's not going to happen. Yeah, With the, boxing uh, gloves on an offensive lineman. But I'm allowing you to tackle. You can tackle the defensive lineman. I don't think. Do you think with boxing gloves on, you're going to be able to tackle the lineman? I don't yes. think so. Yes, I think you would. As long as you well, you still can't trip them. See, that's the thing. Like, I didn't say you. I couldn't. don't think you realize boxing gloves. It connects the four fingers. I know you're not going to be able to hold anything. No, you could. I could still catch a ball. You throw me a pass. I could still catch a pass. With I don't a think you realize. Like in the these guys are not training for that. It would they would have to be cross training going on heavily because they would train for it. I, I mean, know, but you're still you're still imagining this though. A, they can't catch that well innately. That's why they're playing on the line. B, they're lumbering, and and C, they're not like so. Even if they catch the ball, it's not going to be very much of a game. And then here's the other thing: you're running with the ball. With boxing gloves, fumbles would go out of control. <laughs> well, that I would it like. would be like a greased pig. It would go. No, the ball like, would go you, everywhere. You I guarantee to... you, offenses their pivot would not be. Well, let's throw it through the offensive line at a time. No, but what you would do in that case is if it, if if you're like the outlet thing, you would catch the ball, you would grab it, and you'd go to the ground. You know, you're just the outlet guy. You're not trying. So you gain how many yards? Huh? How many five. yards would you gain? Five. Five. Okay. <laughs> I think this is a horrible idea, Keith. Well, the thing is, I can tell you, I mean, I remember the days when they said, well, offensive linemen can't catch. I mean, these guys can catch. I mean, now all of a sudden they're, I mean, they're always in the end zone. I mean, it's when Refrigerator Perry, you know, caught a pass in 86. My God. I mean, oh, how did that ever happen? You know, and people were like, Dumbfounded. Now it's like, oh, that was a trick play. You know, I will go. I will go this way with officiating. I think there needs to be a rapid fire. You know, and you set thirty seconds, sixty seconds. This whole like literally archaic. I mean, now it's even now it seems archaic. Even though before we didn't even have replay, but this whole old guy walks to the side of the field and looks at a monitor and then walks back to the middle of the field. That's just have a third party sky judge. It could be an official that's appointed to the game. It could be New York offices that have access to all the replays that we're seeing on the screen or even more of them, you know, the pylon cam, all this kind of stuff. And it can be sweeping and it can be decisive 
and it can be swift and they just choose not to do it to get right. more calls right and in a, a quicker fashion. And I don't know the resistance on, again, even if you change nothing else, you're at least administering it in a far more precise and swift way. Well, not only that, I think there needs to be a clock and says, if yeah. you make a decision in 30 seconds. No, but I, if you can't change the call within 30 seconds, it's staying as is. Right, exactly. It is what it and is. And it's basically a fail safe to rectify the wrongs. That's it. Right. Okay. Because well, guess what they're doing now? Still, they let every play run. A, I've still got more more things. Uh, I don't. I hate. Oh, I have a ton too. I hate the fact that that defensive players cannot make contact five yards down the down the field. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, we know they do, and they. I know that's how the rule says it, but they don't officiate it that way. So I'm kind of fine with it. Well, the problem is they can officiate it when they want to officiate, yes. and not officiate it. The other thing is, is that I don't have a problem with the defensive guy holding up his hands in front of the wide receiver without his head being turned. I, right. I, but but here's the thing. we It's just like the NBA, though. You know, if you're a savvy wide receiver, all you have to do, or if you're the savvy quarterback, what do you do? You throw it short when the guy's not looking. And all you have to do as the receiver is play the ball back through the defensive back. And yeah. that's going to get the call every time. And that doesn't make it right, though. Because because guess what the wide receiver isn't going to be able to stop his eighteen mile an hour momentum and and if there if it was against air they would not be making that catch you're literally doing it for the penalty it's like uh you know when when the the NBA player does the you know the circle thing you know and, and then rakes through the arms with no intent to actually shoot slash make the shot in the old days. The only thing that was pass interference is if you made contact with the receiver while the ball was in the air. Right. That was pass interference. That's the way it should be. Is the that not pass interference is, now? Now, the next thing that I want to do is if if you put two hands on the ball, that's a catch. I don't care if you're fumbling it or whatever. If you've touched it with two hands, that's a catch. Because wow. See, because actually, I wrote on here how to fix the NFL, and I said, well, what is a catch? Because you know the phrase that bothers me to no end, the element of time. Who steps and the element of time? What, you got to make a football move? And a football move. Did that look like a football move? Well, sometimes Keith would call that a football move, and Chad wouldn't, and vice versa. And then also, we know this as well, the Calvin Johnson part, going to the ground has a different set of rules than if you don't go to the ground on what is a catch. Right. So he, I almost think what you're saying is is too logical because you're making it so you say, let's lower the threshold. They actually said, you know, for this catch, no catch thing, all you have to do is have a room with uh, five former wide receivers and five former DBs. And all you have to do, and, and you're, you're just going to have, you're going to watch replays for 30 seconds and then have a vote. Yeah. And if it's, and it, and whatever side is, you know, 60, 40 or whatever. The thing is, is that if I, if you throw me a pass and I'm facing towards you and I catch the ball, okay. And I'm holding it for five seconds and then you hit me and I fumble. Okay. Is that a fumble? No. Cause I didn't turn and make a football move. <laughs> right. No, it's the element of time. See, you, you, it's all these things. It's the football move element of time. I just think they have to go one way or the other and say, we're going to be really liberal with what a catch is, or we're going to be really, really stickler with what a catch. And either way, you're either going to promote fumbles uh, or you're going to promote incompletions. 
But I think fumbles and interceptions are exciting. I mean, they're, they are. they're exciting. So why not? Why not have more of them? You know, right? If if it's an entertainment product, exactly. But I just think this minutia of like, oh well, he turned, but he kind of turned, but he didn't have the element of time. I would say, like you were, I, I would say first of all, this. Well, it has to be a catch. Has to be you have two feet inbounds, and you have control, right? And no, control is sure. the ball can't obviously be bounce bobbling around in your hands. We see that when guys are going out of bounds, right? They'll do the double clutch, and then you have to count it from the second clutch because that's when they actually had it. So that's relatively easy. But I think in inbounds you have to operate the same way. You have to say you got two hands on the ball. Okay, have they had in that span of time? Do they have two feet on the ground? They may not have taken a step like on a comeback route or something, or they may have because it's a crossing route or a, a nine route or whatever. But the moment that happens, boom, catch. But the problem is, is that if I catch a ball and I try to change it from one hand to the other, and then I get hit, and now it's all of a sudden it's an incomplete pass. But I really did catch the ball because I have it, and I'm actually put. To, I mean, there's just too much. I don't like. I don't like. And the here's fact the thing: only really the receiver knows that, right? The receiver knows, like, okay, I caught the ball, and now I'm trying to do something beyond catch the ball, or it's. You know, I was looking upfield. I was still trying to complete the catch, and it was a drop. Like they know, the receiver knows. You, all I could tell you is, and you hear, you hear the the players say this all the time: is if you get to get two hands on the ball, you should have caught the ball. That's a, I'm a real stickler when I'm doing film notes. I I am a stickler with drops, and unless a guy gets his arm in there or his hand in there or there's some egregious hit right as the catch point was trying to be made, there's a lot more drops by my tally than how, how the NFL would grade or officially score it. Because I'm like you. These are professional receivers. They're not runners. They're receivers. And this is their job. Their job is literally catch ball. Right. And they have now gloves and special. Oh, these freaking tacky gloves are ridiculous. So Catch rate's probably up 10% because of gloves. Now, have you have you felt an NFL ball versus a college ball? I have not. There is a big difference. Those NFL balls are sweet. I mean, they are really easy to catch. But they don't have stripes. Just ask Jamar Chase. Yeah. So I mean, but I I just I, I just want to eliminate rules. That's my whole thing. Is is that I just can't stand how many rules there are in football. Thin the rule book. I also don't I also think there should be less rules to allow more variety. Like we're finally this year has felt fun. And part of the reason it's felt fun is because you have more teams using more motion, more types of plays. And yeah, it's a copycat league and you got the tush push. You got some unique things going on from team to team and to play design to play design. And that's more so than five to ten years ago. And I think that's overall a good thing for the NFL. Um I had just a bounce a couple ideas off of you on how to fix certain things. So we, you already alluded to it, and I think this was part of the college discussion, but how do you fix running back? Shorter rookie contracts. I don't know if you do that overall, but that would help You know, for, for not having guaranteed contracts in general. And the, the lifespan for a lot of these younger players that are on four-year deals, they're locked in, they're getting, you know, maybe, uh, most of them coming out of the NFL draft are getting, you know, it's about a million a year something like that on a four-year controllable contract. 
but you get running backs that go to 25, 26 years old with ultimate team control. And, you know, not many of them are going to get any uh, restructured deals after three years. Sometimes quarterbacks do occasionally wide receivers uh, when they go above and beyond, but maybe running back needs, uh, well, we know they need to get to free agency quicker because when they're dynamic in year one, year two, they're still multiple years away from getting a payday that all of a sudden now teams use age and workload against them. Well, the other thing that you could do is you could say that instead of years, it's touches. Okay. And then, and if you go, because you can see Derek Henry has been abused and this year he's like nothing. I mean, he's well, it also to- took him three to four years to start using him like this when he was in Tennessee. So that was. So, but I mean, but the thing is, is that we, I mean, it's there, there's like metrics, I'm sure, like 1500 touches for a running back. Uh, you know, then you're pretty much done as a running right. back. So you put in place, okay, so what's, what's, you know, you say, you say, what's a reasonable about a touches for a person for like, a, like, I think Saquon Barkley could potentially get 1500 touches at the end of this, after this game. I think if he, I think he needs I would like, say, I would say based on that, I would say 750 touches and you're a free agent. Yeah. Something like that. So, so that, would, that would be, that would be three. Three starter years of 250 touches a pair. Uh, well, that way, know, if you instead would, of four or five. Well, that means if you abuse a running back and no franchise tag, right? No franchise. When you abuse the franchise a, tag, is the worst. I mean, for for players in general, right? Well, they shouldn't have that. That's ridiculous, right? That's, and the, and oh, and then the restricted free agent tag for some of these players, where it's like, oh yeah, we'll tag you. It's two million dollars. Yeah, those are ridiculous too. It is ridiculous. But uh, but the thing is, is that but I think that you should you could come up with metrics and you could see. So if you said that thing where we know fifteen hundred touches for running back, we say seven fifty, and now you are a free agent. Well, now if I've got you as a running back, I'm not going to use you in right. meaningless games. Or well, the other or, part is or, let's say you know let's say you're projecting ahead where you're like, wow, if we use this guy for another hundred touches down the stretch run of the season you know, we're for sure going to lose them next year. Then they, like, what if they slow play it? And it's like, well, maybe we can get it. So even the next year, I don't know. Like, but again, they're never going to do it. They're never going to have a a specific rule for a specific position regarding contracts. They never will. See, the thing is, is that if I'm a good team and I'm going for the playoffs and everything like this, I will, I will use the player. Right. I, but if I'm not a good team, why am I why am I putting a guy out there? But what would the contract be though if it's based on touches? So how much so how much would Jonathan Taylor get paid this year? How would the how would a contract actually be structured? Well, his contract would have been structured on his on how many total touches for his career. So so we, so the contract might be structured like you get paid this amount for your first 200 touches? Yeah. And this amount for your next 300 or whatever? whatever you could do it that way you could do it straight line because they get game checks so how much so how much every game well you got 22 touches here's your check yeah but the thing is you could do it that (laughs) way and yeah but i'm just saying that the previous years i know that if i ended up i'm a rookie i had 200 touches i'm still under whatever my rookie deal is as to, but as soon as I get to seven fifty, ah, then it just stops. Okay, and the, but, it, it, but it's only for, so it's only for rookie contracts, right? 
So, so I, I, cause I would say, you know, you're trying to get them a, a, a more even pathway to a bigger payday, like a traditional contract, not the rookie contract. So, you know, you let's say Jonathan Taylor, you know, has, has three years, you know, he meets the threshold, boom, free agent, not four years, not the fifth year option, not any of this other stuff. And then so after that. three years, free agent, and now he's out there and he can, and at 24 years old, he can get whatever contract he wants. And it's not based on touches. What you're doing is you're guaranteeing the player a second contract. And a better second contract. Right. Okay. Uh, how to fix the how to fix the quarterback position. And I think again, we've actually seen pretty good outcomes this year for the deluge of backup running backup quarterbacks. Uh, Joe Flacco off the couch, uh, Josh Dobbs playing on what three different teams in six months or whatever it was. But I think in general, is more teams need to draft and control more quarterbacks. And I almost think that there needs to be a quarterback section of the roster that if you have a 53-man roster, then I think you need to say, well, it's going to be a 53-man roster, but you can have two additional spots for quarterbacks only. You know, that if you want to utilize bonus spots for quarterbacks, because this will allow you to develop quarterbacks in-house and in place, it will also encourage, because more of these uh, teams need to draft more quarterbacks. Or and and I think when have like I, when I did tracking a few years ago, there was not one relevant story of a quarterback uh, having any sort of impact that came from a team's practice squad. And the reason is you can't just put a quarterback of any import on the practice squad because they will get siphoned away and signed and poached by another team. So to rectify that, you want more in the pipeline for every team. You want minimum three, if not four, if not five quarterbacks in-house, and that will lead to fostering better play and you're more familiar with the system. Uh, you could have, I mean, just because you're not going to play them, you could have quarterbacks like Josh Dobbs or um, you know any of these other options that are just down in the pipeline. And we see teams get down to the third quarterback, fourth quarterback uh, routinely in seasons. And it would show how, how good you are with scouting and with fostering that talent and sculpting it to your system. So I, I think we already protect quarterbacks in the pocket, but now that we're seeing more mobile quarterbacks do more things with their legs, they're out there as a running back and they are not protected. So they are increasing their injury risk for themselves when the NFL is almost protecting them for a problem that's lesser so, which is in the pocket and getting drilled when they've done a good job with that. However, it's when they start moving is when they are a runner and they're not protected. So I feel like that is not going to be something that can be eradicated. So they have to affect it from a supply standpoint, which is having more quarterbacks on more rosters with more time to grow and, and develop. But the problem you have there is, is, is that even the backup quarterback doesn't get any reps. So that's the reason why practice squad quarterbacks sure. don't get any reps. See what I would what I would think would be that well, you unless would, you go unless you go a minor league system, you're not going to get that. Say what? Unless you have a minor league system of right. of teams, which I mean they've tried out secondary leagues, but I don't think those were players that were already controlled by NFL teams. Like you didn't have someone in the World Football League or the uh, Arena League, and they were already a part of the Rams or the Cardinals or whatever. So but you they're, could, they're just kind of, they can be signed. But what you could do is instead of having quarterbacks on a practice squad, you create like a developmental league where they're all available to anybody. Mm. So 
that way they're 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 practicing and playing and everything maybe not against competition but they're practicing throughout so that they're available to everybody huh what do you mean they're available to everybody it's like give a penny take a penny trays at the store well you get an injured you get an injured quarterback and it, let's say that you have three on your roster. So you have to have an injury to pluck from there? Right. If you get a guy who gets injured and is out for the season, you can then uh, then you could go to this pool where these guys have actually been practicing, literally really practicing. Well, practicing what? They haven't been practicing with your playbook. No, haven't been practicing with your playbook, but they've been practicing, uh, you know, skills – that yeah, that could do it. They may have to learn terminology. And what are they getting paid? A hundred grand a, a season? Well, look at look at Josh Dobbs. He shows up in Minnesota, who doesn't know. even know anything, and he wins a game. I, I mean, know. so Baker I, Mayfield did that last year with the Rams. Yeah, so I'm saying that you don't need to know. I mean, if they're they're the plays are basically. I know it's like an emergency goalie in hockey. Yeah, pretty much. And you just drag the guy off of this thing because he, you know, the, you'll, the, you'll say, well, let's see, that guy most meets the need of my system, you know, and you'd have a Flacco there. You may have a Josh Dobbs down there. You may have all these guys. Josh Johnson. Know, yeah. You know, and and then all of a sudden you just can pluck him and you put him in because your guy is is on the IR and out for the season. But this guy at least has been able to throw and be and you know be with players and I right. don't know. But the way that they have it now is you end up as a quarterback on a practice squad, you're dead. Right. Yeah, because like you said, you get no reps. You get nothing. You sit. Or there they're like, hey, hey, you need to pretend you're Kyler Murray this week on some of these reps because we're getting our defense ready. Oh, thanks. That's not prepping me for anything. I mean, well, um, you, I'm not even sure you'll even get that much. The last thing, yeah, exactly. The last thing that uh, that I wanted to go through is how to fix coaching. Um, and there was a really something that really sparked a, a lot of this thought was a, a great interview. If you you probably don't recognize the name, few people would, but uh, his name is Kevin Kelly, and he is the you know the famous high school coach that never punted was kind of the mantra um, that he would do all of all of the uh, high variance outcomes. Um, in terms of optimizing his team and and uh, offensive results, and he, it turns out, you know that that that's a stock advertising line. But so he did punt, you know, and he it's not like he did onside kicks every time. But he talked about so many concepts though that would translate over, and NFL teams should be doing more of it. Now, to what degree, who knows? But he's a big advocate of going for two point conversions. He mentions that, you know, if you become a team that regularly goes for two, that a, you're creating variance, you know, that instead of being up, he talked about a, a really cool scenario where they go for two, the first two touchdowns of the, every game, because if you get up, it, for example, if you go up eight zero, he said, if the other team scores a touchdown, what do they do? You're getting a team that is probably less familiar with going for two. And now do you go for two to chase the points? If you kick, you're already down. You could be up by two scores if you get a second touchdown with a two-point conversion. Like, There's a lot of positive outcomes that come from that. But he also says, if you're just a team that is going to get a lot more live reps and, and you're going to practice two-point conversions more, your conversion rate is going to be higher. You're going to learn. You're going to iterate 
what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And you're going to be a team that practices it more. And you're going to actually make the other team defensively practice that more during the week. He also mentions that there should be a lot more trick plays and laterals um, that the, uh, the effect of rugby or just situational laterals. We saw a throw across, you know, that didn't count there with Travis Kelsey. We've seen some situational places that the NFL uses it, but he mentions a couple elements that I had not thought about with laterals, which is he said the second most difficult thing to do in, in football is make an isolated one-on-one tackle. And what they preach in general in football is rally to the football. And if you rally to the football, but there's the threat of a lateral from the ball carrier or receiver or whatever static point you are in the play that all of a sudden now uh, they have to react to other players moving, other wide receivers, other running backs moving that could be part of the design or it could just be uh, you know, something that is window dressing and uh, to take defensive attention away. So that element of getting defenders to slow down to some degree, uh, it could be a fake lateral. It could be a designed, we are going to lateral. It could be a read. Any of those elements, this causes indecision. We're seeing some of that with motion in the NFL, but imagine more laterals where if teams had to practice that and plan for that on defense, even if you only do it you know, 20 times a season or it could be higher. But the point is the threat of it, as we know, is as valuable sometimes as actually doing it repetitively over and over again. Um, another thing he said was, he said more teams need to stress the middle of the field. You see that with the 49ers quite a bit. They use the middle of the field quite a bit. They use crossing routes. They use in-breaking routes. And he said part of that is, number one, it's a much shorter throw. So there's less variables. Number two, uh, if you use play action or fakes or any sort of design element, the linebackers are really not an element where if you go spatially wide, it is a bigger element. And he said, especially when you use crossers and things that are between the numbers, you bring in the elements of laterals and you bring in the elements of trick plays a lot more than a static, you know, 15 yard comeback to the, to the wide side of the field type, you know, or you also bring that the sideline into play your odds of breaking a big play with yards after the catch are diminished when you run uh, an out route, let's say to, to the boundary, you know, as opposed to an in-breaking route where you make defenders play the ball and play you. And then ultimately you'd be able to maybe cross a, an offensive player behind you. Are they going to hand it off? Are they going to lateral? Are they going to fake it? Uh, so you have a number of different ways to break explosive plays. And he mentioned that, I mean, explosive plays are the number one indicator or I'm sorry, number two to turnovers uh, way to who wins the game. It's how many 20 plus yard games you have can you create negative plays on defense, but also can you exploit, uh, can you explode and, and have big plays on offense because not having penalties and working your way methodically down the field is really tough to do in five yard, 10 yard chunks. And so breaking a big play, it's going to be, how can you gain more of those? And it's hard to do that through traditional uh, play designs. Well, the, first of all, the, in the NFL, you used to, have a lot more hook and ladder plays. Yeah. I mean, there used to be a lot more of them, but what happens is there would be such an, there's been such an emphasis on turnovers because right. you would increase that. But the question is the offset of that, but that's the reason why, and this would get into another rule is I don't, I don't like the fact that you have to throw that there's only, you know, one throw down the field. Why not, you know, why not be able to, you know, pat, throw and then throw again. 
I mean, that would that would all of a sudden give you, uh, you know, make things more exciting and and do things. But I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know me. I hate kicking. I mean, that's my the reason why I say that that it, when it, you know if the ball hits the upright or the crossbar, the score of the game goes back to zero zero. <laughs> you know that way your your team that's leading would never try a field goal or an extra point. <laughs> Yeah, I I just think that more teams, and I think we're moving in in a direction. You know, more teams going forward on fourth down, not punting in in plus territory. The, these types of things, we're we're going in that direction. But one thing he mentioned is just the the job security element and the scrutiny of an NFL coach or play caller or whatever. If you started to have this, you know, general general mindset of riskier play, so to speak. But it would also have to correspond with practice time, right? I mean, you would start working on it. Like there should be a team, and he kind of just mentioned teams without big time quarterbacks, or if you're at a competitive disadvantage with where you are. He mentioned Carolina this year specifically of a team that the only way you're really going to win games or uh, really you know have offensive success is going to be through some of these elements. And so they would be a great uh, foster environment to try this out, but. I mean, in one off season, you could see a team again, we didn't see the tush push and the Eagles uh, practiced and designed and, and, and mimicked this element. And we have seen it be globally effective. And if you had a team that worked on it, and, and one thing he mentioned is you only need one or two players that are going to be involved in the actual, uh, you know, rugby style pitching uh, there from, from player to player or a part of these trick play designs to be that threat. You don't have to have every single skill position player on your entire team be familiar and uh, a subject matter expert for this to work. So that that would be the other thing. It can be very, uh, and all you need to do is see it once or twice and a, a team to get gashed. And we know how the NFL works. All of a sudden, every single one of your opponents is going to be like, uh-oh, is it coming? We have to We have to plan for this. And just them having to plan for this, all of a sudden, you can do the the part without the pitch and that might go for 40 yards because they fear, they fear the fake, you know, they fear the the actual happening and you don't even have to do it. It's kind of like, you know, you know, I mean, we, we play tennis and it's like, so, you know, if you keep, if you keep hitting to one spot at some point, the other side is going to be wide open just because they think it's going one way. So it's like, you don't even have to do it. Technically you just had to prove that you could do it once. It's kind of how it goes. So. Well, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a team just go totally to uh, getting behemoths and do a run game because the defensive linemen are getting so small. And they're playing lighter boxes. And they're putting, you know, like what what struck me is there was a a random game that I was watching at least the beginning part of the show, the beginning part of the game live. And they had the, the starting lineups come up and it was nickel. They had two linebackers in the starting lineup. And it's yeah. like, can you imagine that in 1985 where they show just two linebackers? No. I mean, I, all I know is if I were a crap team like Carolina, yeah, I would just be drafting road runners, uh, road graders. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about passing. And I would just, you know, I would just try to outmuscle the, uh, you know, and force them to put bigger guys in the game. And well, the other thing you said, the other thing you said was you would also just get a bunch of mobile quarterbacks, right? And use them, use them up like running backs. Well, I mean, if I, if I can't get a four franchise quarterback, why not get athletic quarterbacks that can run and catch 
And, you know, when you I, I see this would be my crazy idea is is like I would have three sets of of quarterbacks where you would have three. One would be the quarterback, one would be the running back and one would be the wide receiver. And all of them could play quarterback, running back, wide receiver. And you're going to block as a wide receiver real hard for those other two guys, because at some point in time, they've got a block for you. I right. mean, and then what you do is you give them all a set of plays, and now you all of a sudden you got nine guys coming in. Nobody, nobody on defense will know what the hell is happening or going on, and you just get athletic guys and you get road, you know, road grader offensive linemen. And I, I mean, I, it would be completely different. It, the NFL is always the team that is the original. Well, especially it, this. Well, especially this, Keith. Imagine. Uh, because we've seen the Eagles this year basically turn into a nine yard first down, right? And we've also seen, so they routinely go for it on fourth down. Teams in general are going for it more on fourth down. But let's say, again, you get comfortable in the fourth and three or less space. Doesn't that mean you would approach the first three downs a little differently, right? Oh, like if you if you knew it was not first and 10, but it was first and eight, because you're going to go for it on fourth down because you have these uh, you have these elements of time and space and putting players in motion. And, uh, you know, we have we have a good quarterback sneak play and we have this and we have that. And you're doing all this stuff around. Well, we don't have to drop back and beat you three times and pass protect and do all these things that you're going to be I mean, a lot more. Like you said, if, Car if Carolina or a team were to do this, all of a sudden the field shrinks and you can control the ball and your variables go down quite a bit from what success versus failure looks like in on offense, at least. Yeah, you know, you look at it because you, you, you keep going back to like basketball and stuff. You know, where the the three point shot. I mean, Larry Bird, who's probably one of the greatest three point shooters in you know ever, is shot way less than random guys in the in the NBA today. Yep. You know, it's just all of a sudden a Steph Curry comes around and now everybody's, you know, shooting three point shots. It's it's whatever the f you've got to be different than everybody else in order to be better than everybody else. Excellent. All right. Uh, Keith, love it. Love it. Uh, we have some of these discussions and text test messages as we go through and see stuff in the uh, sports environment. But it's good to be able to press record and uh, and catch up with college football, pro football and I'm just crossing my fingers, you know, whether it's uh, some of the stuff we talked about with college football, uh, we'd love to see relegation someday, uh, whether it's the NFL uh, with officiating, less rules, uh, what's a catch, and and sort of optimizing and fixing maybe some of these broken teams or broken offenses to play better and be competitive and be be lively and and make a push and change the game uh, that that at some point, you know, someone uh, can can change the game in that capacity because we see it. Uh, these little fractions, uh, fractions of a turn on a dial, uh, but it's really not enough. You know, we need someone to to really alter the landscape. And uh, we put out a lot of harebrained ideas, but a lot of them that that could be implemented and could make sense and could change the game uh, in relatively easy capacities. So for Keith, myself, Chad Parsons. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dices. Nice.